WNYC Studios is supported by Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latte from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Ryan Lehrer on WNYC, and now we turn to our climate story of the week, which we do every Tuesday on the show. Spring-like temperatures will warm up New York and New Jersey this week ahead of a powerful rainstorm, we are told. And upstate New York is looking at record high temperatures. But it's still winter, even if there's little snow to show for it. And the lack of snow is closely tied to persistently mild weather, even if there has been a lot of precipitation in the form of rain. According to the Washington Post, this winter could end up as the warmest on record in the contiguous United States, the 48 states, driven by the El Nino climate pattern and human-caused climate change. Now, among some of the most impacted industries, of course, are your favorite ski resort areas. It's school breaks like last week's, as well as three-day weekends like President's Day that can make or break the entire year for some of those businesses. But making snow has historically contributed to the very emissions that cause climate change and the lack of natural snow. Joining us now on how ski resorts battling a lack of snow due to global warming are making snow using greener technologies. Our guest is Teak Root, senior staff writer at GRIST, a nonprofit news organization covering climate, justice, and solutions. Teak, thanks for coming on. Welcome to WNYC. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'm bummed about this warm weather, but it's a, it makes for interesting conversation. Right. Uh, bummed long term, even if it's a nice day when you walk out and it feels good in the short term. Listeners, I want to open up the phones right away. I wonder if any of you out there tuning in right now have worked at ski resorts any time in the past or do so currently or have any uh, experience with artificial snowmaking. How has the technology changed to become more efficient and greener, if you believe that that's even real? Or anyone else who keeps a close eye on the snowfall at your favorite ski resort, what are you seeing over time? How has that changed the experience of skiing or snowboarding for you? Or anything else you want to share or ask, 212-433-WNYC, call or text 212 so, Teek, I see you write about a recent study that found that much of the northern hemisphere is heading off what you call a snow loss cliff, where even marginal increases in temperature could prompt a dramatic loss of snow. So where are those areas? Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be across uh, the north, uh, sorry, the northern hemisphere in North America for sure. But I think 
you know, for skiing related areas, I think you're going to start to see it in the Rockies in California. I think you're going to see it in the Northeast as well. It, it definitely, you know, I think uh, if I r- read the study correctly, it's going to be, you know, the West is going to be hit particularly hard with this snow cliff, but I think it's going to be felt everywhere. And it's something we're already feeling if you look outside today and see, you know, brown on sure. the ground rather than snow. Right. And you wrote that by one estimate, only about half of the ski areas in the Northeast today will be economically viable by mid-century. So that's a big deal. Right. That's a huge deal. I mean, these these uh, there were 65 million ski visits um, last year across North America. And these ski towns rely on this. This can be a huge, if not only part of their um, economy. And so if those go away, um, you know, skiing is a luxury, but you could see entire communities start to start to dwindle. So snow making, and we'll get into how some aspects of snow making are getting a bit greener. But can you explain, by way of background, the amount of power and the scale that it takes to make snow for a resort? Yeah, so there are two major components that go into making snow. One is the water, um, and then the other is compressed air that they need to help put that water on the hill. And so snowmaking started in the 50s and 60s sort of as a backyard um, enterprise. Um, But over time, um, you know, we found new and different ways to do it. So they used to require so much power that people were using diesel generators to pump both the water and compress the air. But over time, they've gotten efficient enough that um, you know electricity does the job. Still, I, I visited a small ski area in southern Vermont, and they were still using enough electricity to power around 100 homes, and that's with a more efficient um, system. So it's definitely energy intensive, and ski areas bigger than that are going to use many times that amount of energy. So it's, it's by no means a small energy suck, but it's definitely a lot less than it used to be. Yeah. And so the switch from diesel to electricity was really based on smarter business solutions uh, for the resorts, I gather. And um, they're better, but still take a lot of power with the stats you were just giving us, like powering 100 homes. So is there such a thing as green snowmaking? I think there's a thing, uh, such a thing as greener snowmaking, right? I think with anything, it's about, um, you know, you can look at the both the improvement and uh, the actual net power that's being used. And ski areas, I found over reporting the story, love to talk about their efficiency gains, but are, are reticent to share um, how much power they actually use, which I think is uh, important to know the denominator, just to put it in perspective, because again, skiing is um, obviously a luxury and people should, I think, know um, how much power goes into uh, goes into creating that luxury. Let's take a phone call. Here's Timothy in East Berkshire, Vermont. You're on WNYC. Hi, Timothy. Hi. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Um, yeah, uh, I can see Jay Peak from my backyard. Uh I've I've been skiing uh, all of my life. I'm 61. I've been skiing since I was four. I taught skiing, uh, goodness, for close to 40 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing about snowmaking is that it is an egregiously inefficient 
process. You need massive diesel compressors, and I'm talking massive. I'm talking cat diesels the size of my house. And, uh, of course, then you're, you know, you're, you're sucking up water. Um, but it's, it's a very inefficient process. The winners are not, are now, they're, they're not what they used to be in any, in any way, shape or form. I mean, we've had like, I can count on one hand how many good powder days we've had up here at Jay Peak. And I can tell you that east of the Mississippi, Jay Peak arguably gets the most natural snowfall hmm. in the country, east of the Mississippi. But the winters aren't what they used to be. Uh, as far as uh, efficiency goes, what they're touting, yeah, they're trying to make it more efficient. They've got more efficient guns and things like that. But it's still a bit, you know, you only have a fixed budget. I mean, it costs so much damn money. You could you can only spend any amount. I don't care if it's JP. I don't care if it's Vail. I don't care if it's Stowe. Whatever. Yeah. You only have a fixed budget, and uh, you know. So are you seeing it spent, yet, Timothy? With all your experience and involvement, are are you seeing yet uh, ski resorts or ski related businesses fail in addition to whatever the climate effects are? Um, okay, uh, please repeat that, Brian. I apologize. I'm just asking if you're seeing ski-related businesses failing yet in Vermont. Okay, yeah. Um, yes, I have seen it. Uh, um, there's only, like, a, there's only, like, a finite, uh, you know, set amount of well-established businesses that seem to be surviving, but I see these these new businesses show up, new restaurants, so on and so forth, and they only last about three years, and then yeah. they're they're kaput. There you go, Timothy. I'm going to leave it there. Thanks for all the insight, Peter in Brooklyn, who skis in the Catskills. You're on WNYC. Hi, Peter. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I was wondering if your guest has any insight if we could ever see more snowmaking infrastructure for cross country skiing. That's how I learned growing up in um, Minnesota, and given how little snowfall we've had the last several winters, there's just been really no cross-country skiing except for a few days in the Catskills. Boy, that would be cross-country skiing heaven, I imagine, right? Or epicenter, because uh, no mountains, but lots of snow in Minnesota, yes? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And like my local resort up here, Bel Air, does an excellent job for downhill, but I just don't know if there's, you know, anything we can ever see for cross-country in the area. Right. Peter, thank you. How about a distinction between cross-country and downhill? Do they make snow for cross-country? Uh, I don't even yeah. know, Teak. Yeah, yeah. so cross-country snowmaking is much more limited. Um, you know, I, it's upwards of 80, 90-ish percent of downhill ski areas make snow. Um, I know in Vermont there's only about two or three cross-country places that make snow. I, I think part of the issue is economic. You, you know, a, a lift ticket at Vail can cost three hundred dollars, where a lift ticket to go cross country skiing is, is thirty bucks. Um, so the payback on installing snowmaking maybe isn't as great. And also, I think that um, running the piping over vast amounts of areas can quickly get more expensive. Like a, da a downhill mountain has, um, you know, a limited amount of kilometers or miles that the pipe needs to run, whereas 
some of the uh, cross country areas are really, really sprawling. So I personally don't expect um, to see a lot of cross country areas be able to afford um, to put in snowmaking systems that cost millions of dollars. But, you know, it's it's technically not impossible and you, you could see them do it. One more call from one more skier, Casey in Fort Lee. You're on WNYC. You can't ski in Fort Lee, right, right, Casey? No, you can't ski in Fort Lee. I just pulled over when I heard this because I'm on my way right now to go skiing at Mountain Creek in Vernon, New Jersey. And their mountain is completely open. They have managed to put down a great snow base from over four peaks, in the face of what we all see here is, you know, bad. I'm a lifelong skier, and every year the season's slightly shorter, and you have to hit it while it's right. When the snow dumps, you have to go skiing that day or the day after if you can somehow manage it. You know, previously it was cold. It stayed cold. But at this point, um, if you want to see state-of-the-art snowmaking, Mountain Creek has done an excellent job. They cover the entire hill. Um, they blow extra when it's below freezing because – so much of it now is above freezing when you go out to go ski. You're on spring conditions, essentially. So when it gets cold, they just turn on the guns, blow it, and they plow it around a lot. It's kind of surprising how much now it's almost like moving the snow from one side to the other, not just running a groomer up it. But, no, if you want to see state-of-the-art snowmaking in a fully open mountain, they have managed to keep the community going. They have managed to keep the ski teams going. Um, all the kids in the local area whose moms drop them off at 3 o'clock and pick them back up at 7 for dinner. It's really impressive to see what they've done. Yeah. Every area has had this problem. We also go up right. to Vermont um, frequently, and if you look at Stratton, Stratton's also had to do a massive snowmaking because at that point they had millions of dollars of homes sitting below their hill. Right. And if they don't have snow, those homes are worthless. Yeah, funny enough, a couple of friends of mine went out to Vernon over President's Day weekend, and it had just snowed. And they said there was some nice snow on the ground, but um, gone by now for sure. So good luck out there. But to wrap it up, Teak, I mean, you know, Casey didn't bring up uh, the climate aspect. He he just gave us a good example of what um, gargantuan efforts it takes now to keep a lot of people's favorite ski places, you know, covered with snow. So do you think that this is being regulated or needs to be regulated in defense of the climate by government? No, that's a, that's a really interesting question. I'll start by saying that the uh, the case of New Jersey is interesting because the, the Mid-Atlantic has actually been a real driver of snowmaking innovation because they, they see the sort of shortest temperature windows to make snow and so they've really been driving a lot of the efficiency that then got adopted by the Northeast and now is getting adopted by the West as they uh, as they see um, less snow out there and more need for snowmaking. But it's going to be a really interesting question. You do already see some government regulation of snowmaking. I know that ski areas in Vermont, at least, are um, subject to certain electricity rates where during peak demand, they actually have to shut off uh, their snowmaking systems, um, which uh, is ironic, partly because you can make the best snow as the temperatures drop, but electricity loads go up. And so sometimes they have to uh, curtail their snowmaking at the perfect temperatures for snowmaking. Mm -hmm. um, so it puts them in a little bit of a bind. And you do see 
um, you know, studies go into water use before, before systems go in, et cetera. So I think that, you know, as this increases, you might see more and more attention to it. But you're also, I think, going to continue to see um, energy demands decrease. Um, automation is the next frontier. Um, Hunter Mountain in upstate New York has actually been on the forefront of automation. Um, and uh, also some of the other ones in the mid-Atlantic, like Pennsylvania and Maryland, um, have a lot of automation. And so you're going to see snowmaking systems run for less time to produce the same amount of snow. Hmm. Um, and hopefully that... Mm -hmm you know, will bring down electricity demands as well. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if people start paying more attention to this on, on the regulatory front as well. And we leave it there for today for our climate story of the week. Our guest has been Teak Root, senior staff writer at Grist, climate-oriented nonprofit news organization. His latest piece is titled Greener Snowmaking is Helping Ski Resorts Tackle Climate Change. Thanks so much for coming on, Teak. Thanks for having me.